Welcome to the Portland Five podcast. I'm Rebecca Webb, co-founder of Portland Radio Project. Today, you're invited to join us on a field trip to two of Portland's landmark theaters, the Keller and the Schnitz. We'll hear a little history, a few tall tales, maybe even a ghost story. A brand new public auditorium opened, and Portland's performing arts story truly began in July of 1917. The public auditorium, located on a block that had previously been used as a public park, an outdoor market, box and mattress factories, and even as a streetcar barn. But after 1917, 222 Southwest Clay Street would forever be home to one of Portland's most beloved performance spaces, now called the Keller Auditorium, named for Ira Keller, who once chaired the Portland Development Commission. The auditorium was a familiar campaign stop for candidates, community meeting center, movie house, boxing venue, and something else, a little spooky. In 1918, pretty much shortly after it was built, it ended up being used as a hospital for the Spanish flu epidemic in Portland. And they tore out seating, they put in all of the hospital beds, the stage was used, and then ever since... That's Gage Rutherford, event custodian utility lead at the Keller, a history major who did his 36-page thesis on the 100-year-plus history of the Keller. He had a lot to say and even shared a haunting tale. What were some of the curiosities you discovered that have happened over the years? Oh, there's so many. The basement here that we have, we store all of our garbage there, used to be a morgue. The very upstairs, our laundry room, was the office where doctors would relax between patients. And there's just so many different areas of this building there. Kind of spooky. <laughs> yeah, I, and I can imagine that in a hundred year plus history, mm-hmm. that isn't terribly surprising. And this is not the same building as the original building. It was pretty much demolished in the 1960s, I believe. So, what they really did was just redo the facade of the building, and the base layer of the building remained. As far as I could tell, they didn't ever redo much of the building, so it still has a lot of original parts to it. Maybe some walls have changed, but it's still pretty much the same it was. Cool. And I heard that they um, improved the acoustics, obviously, over time, put in some more parking. Mm -hmm. But are there ever enough women's restrooms ever in a building? No. (laughs) (laughs) Did they ultimately decide to ditch the original pipe organ from 1917? As far as I know, yes. There's still a couple parts of it here up in our upper area. (laughs) Like storage? (laughs) Sort of, yeah. (laughs) And was that a big controversy? For a lot of people, yeah. I mean, that was something that was kind of a staple of what the Keller was, and they just made the decision to kind of get rid of it and move forward with different ways that they're doing things. And what about the places in the building where you go today where there are, you're conscious that there are original pieces from the 1917 building? Well, a lot of the basement, like I said, is still pretty much the same flooring. They might have taken a couple layers off of cement, but it's still the original base of the building. Some of the rooms have been reorganized, but the attic, the fifth floor, still has a lot of the chute that they would take off their dirty coats and put them so that they would go down to the basement. Like, that's in a midsection of a doorway, so. Is that eerie to you at all? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
like, what else is eerie about the building? Uh, there's just so many things that happen, especially when you work here at night, that are just so spooky. And when you're alone, it gets even worse. Are you alone here at night? Yes. Oh, that sounds <laughs> terrible. So what kinds of things happen? I've been pushed downstairs. I've got that feeling of being watched in uh, the backstage area quite a bit. You hear noises. Specific. Basically, when you come into this bathroom, I usually come in here to clean up whatever. You'll be somewhere towards the back, and you'll end up hearing uh, laughing. But you know, it's at a time where kids probably wouldn't be outside. Um, you hear like horrible coughing sometimes, and then those last two stalls generally slam after it happens. I know I said I wouldn't walk down here, but there's no way for them to slam like they do. Like they, you have to push it. And the fact that this one goes like that is <laughs> kind of terrifying, but it will just go back to its original place. <laughs> I'm not happy about that. <laughs> What's the kids laughing like? Can you? It's like they're trying to, to play a trick and just kind of freak you out a bit. And it sounds very close. Like you'll be in those stalls just doing whatever and then you hear like a giggle, a whisper, some coughing and then slamming and I'm like, mm, great. And what's your theory about what's going on there? Well, this place is probably haunted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back in the day, 210 plus people died. Back when I started, we had an usher pass away in one of the restrooms. Like, it's a common building for people dying, I guess. <laughs> Tell me a little more about getting pushed down the stairs. Well, I was just walking back from the laundry room. I was just kind of minding my own business, walking down. These stairs right here? These stairs, and then as soon as I get to maybe the last four of these stairs, it starts growing hot on my back. Whoa. I feel something just straight up like nudge me, and I go down <laughs> these four stairs. And end up... Were you hurt? Yeah, I mean, I had a grade two sprain on my ankle. What's your feeling about the building in light of these things? I mean, how do you keep coming in night after night alone? with those kinds of goings on? Um, well, I just kind of come in and I'm like, I'm not here to do anything but clean. Don't worry about me. I won't worry about you. I'm not gonna mention any names. <laughs> like, I just wanna clean a bathroom and leave. <laughs> <laughs> but you kept your job. Yes. Yep, I've been here for almost three years now. Well, thanks for telling us about it. Yeah, no problem. More creepy tales where that came from when we come back. We'll hear from Melody Isom, who also works at the Keller. She encountered an unusual sight that's prevented her from ever again entering the laundry room at the Keller. Support comes from Portland Five, which provides its five iconic downtown theaters to local and national arts, music, dance, and education performances. For more, visit portlandfive.com. I'm willing to walk around the whole building except for one special floor. And Where's that, that is the laundry room. Hmm. That's up on five. That's Melody Isom, event custodian utility lead at the Keller Auditorium. She had a frightful encounter one night, entering the laundry room. Well, one night, I used to work swing shift here when I was just in EC, and I was going up to the laundry room with a co-worker of mine to 
start the laundry. So we got up there, and it's a little door you have to go through to get to the washer and the dryer. So he's ahead of me, and I'm in the back of him. And then we were walking through the door, and as we walk, and I get a little glance of something. I'm like, and I turn around, I'm like, oh my God, Troy, there's a man standing right there. He says, where? I said, right there. He's standing there just as plain as I'm looking at you guys with a white nightgown on with long gray hair, and he just walks straight through the wall, straight through the wall. No way. And once he did that, I went straight out of there, too. <laughs> My coworker, he didn't believe me, but he ran right behind me. So he must have got a glimpse of him as well. But it was just like I'm talking to you now. It's like you're there, he's there. And he just went away. I haven't been back up there since, and that's been two and a half years. And what about your coworker? Did he also see the I ghost? Know, I don't know if he saw him. He didn't believe me, but when I ran, he ran. <laughs> so there was a reaction with him also. What did everyone else say? I mean, what did you do right then? After you ran, then what? I came down to the break room, and I was telling everybody I just saw a ghost. No one believed me. No one. I'm like, well, I'm never going back up there, so I'm telling you it was there. Then after that, people started telling me their stories of, you know, seeing different things here at the Keller, too. So I'm like, well, I saw it straight. Eye to eye, we looked at each other eye to eye. He must have been a friendly ghost because, you know, ghosts do kind of nudge you a little bit. But this one didn't. He just went straight on about his business. Interesting. Now, did you ever believe in ghosts before that experience? Not really, but I do now. <laughs> Would, will you take us uh, up there? We asked Melody if she'd be willing to show us where it all happened. Understandably, she refused. Fortunately, her coworker Gage offered to take us up to the laundry room. And here we are. So that's the shoot I was talking about. They just kind of repurposed it to event now. All right. This so is, this is the laundry room. Yes. So Melody came up here to do laundry. Did she tell you where in this space she saw the character? Yeah, right over here. Right next to the, these brooms. <laughs> it was like right around here-ish. And then she looked over, saw him, and took off. And according to her, the character passed right through that wall. Mm -hmm. What's behind there, Gage, do you know? Um, it looks like you used to have windows anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the, the areas that they redid the facade on the outside, so I'm assuming it used to be windows that they covered up. There are schematics of it, but they aren't super helpful. They're the original schematics from 1918, so they're a little hard to see. Yep, well, this I... is our creepy laundry room. <laughs> the Keller's not the only theater under the Portland Five umbrella with an intriguing history. When we come back, we'll hear about the shootout at the Schnitz. Support comes from Portland Five, which provides its five iconic downtown theaters to local and national arts, music, dance, and education performances. For more, visit portlandfive.com. Bill. 
Built circa 1928 and home to the iconic Portland sign, the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall seats more than 2,700 people, is now home to the Oregon Symphony. But its history is just as rich as the sounds that reverberate from its main stage. It was originally built in 1928 as a movie and vaudeville house. Scott Adds is the marketing and promotions coordinator for Portland Five. He gives tours to the new Metro hires, so he was the perfect person to tell us about the early history of the concert hall we affectionately call the Schnitz. Originally, this was the pinnacle of theater construction by Rap and Rap in the Rococo style. And uh, it was outfitted with the finest luxury furniture from France, statues from Italy, Then the uh, women's restroom, there was uh, full chaise lounges and phone booths and smoking rooms and just about every piece of opulence you could find, uh, including a uh, massive pipe organ that was made in Germany and then brought over and installed here. Pretty lavish stuff for Portland, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, (laughs) you know, basically at the time, one theater was just trying to beat out each other. You know, so within a three or four year span, you had the Fox Theater that was built, the Broadway, which was originally right across the street from this building, and uh, of course, the Publix. And the uh, movie was big business back then. Yeah, and it, it actually uh, started showing Paramount Films. Yes, uh, Paramount purchased it, actually, in, uh, I believe it was 1932, thereabouts. And uh, back in the studio system, the uh, movie studios would control everything from production all the way to the showing. So... Only Paramount Films would be shown at the Paramount Theater, only Fox at Fox, so on and so forth. And what happened then in the 70s and 80s? How did it get to not be Paramount anymore? (laughs) Um, Basically, television killed it. People stayed at home, and it was very difficult to fill a 2,000-seat movie house. And also, that was about the same time that uh, the multiplexes started coming in, where there were smaller houses, you know, 500 seats or 300 seats. Much easier to fill that. Paramount stopped showing uh, movies in, uh, I believe the last was 1962, if I remember correctly. And from that point, it was sold to a uh, private operator and was used as a rock and roll theater. A lot of rock concerts oh, here. Some of the, some of the <laughs> legendaries, you know, Tom Petty came through originally, Grateful Dead, Heart, just name after name after name. And then the surprise statue, that was from the very beginning, that was kept, but maybe not completely intact. Yeah, the, the surprise statue um, was original to the building. And uh, luckily, when most of the furniture and the pipe organ and everything were auctioned off, Surprise was so loved by the people that they actually passed the hat and everybody put in whatever they could afford to buy the statue for, at the time, $5,200 to keep it here in the Orange Sister Concert Hall. It is iconic, but missing two fingers? Uh, It's been gently repaired, but there's a uh, noticeable chip if you know where to look for it. So on uh, her upper hand, which is uh, covering her forehead... You can see it better on the back side. There is a chip on her two middle fingers, and uh, that came from a uh, shootout during a box office robbery. Oh, I thought a film was being made here. Uh, no, no, that's uh, from a box office robbery. Oh, and, wow. Uh, as the story has it, um, this happened uh, back in 1928, shortly after the, uh, the building opened as the Publix. A young man named Robert Noland, uh, who lived in Southern California for a time and worked as a movie extra, uh, was in a movie called Wheel of Chance. 
And uh, he had moved back to Oregon after that and saw that Wheel of Chance was playing here at the Publix. And uh, thought, hey, I'll go see myself on, on the big screen, right? So as he's cruising through the lobby, he's seeing ushers and box office attendants carry large sacks of money back to be counted in the back of the house and everything. And he's watching the film and says, hey, I'm going to take a chance. And he decides to hold up the box office. Crime of opportunity. Crime of opportunity, right. <laughs> and so uh, a shootout, and I lose the, use that term loosely, like one or two shots may have been fired. And one of them actually happened to hit surprise and chipped her fingers. Now, the statue surprise has since been repaired, but if you look just in the right place. So uh, over here in the, uh, just off the main lobby is surprise, the statue. Uh, originally, it was surrounded by a fountain and you can see where there's a different color marble on the floor. That was the original boundary for the fountain and the water that it sat in. Not a modest woman, was no, she? No, no. Uh, she was uh, quite surprised uh, by being caught bathing, which is why it sat in water. Um, but if you can actually see the notch in the fingers better from the backside. So it's up here where the two fingers are joined in the middle and right up here by her hair, you can just barely see the repair job that was done. Oh yeah, I see it. They did a great job though. Yes, yeah, considering this is white marble, uh, it's <laughs> very difficult to match it. They did a very good job. Robert was actually, a, he ended up taking $1,176. So oh, he got away? He got away, but was apprehended several days later, having spent all but $1.50 of the money on booze. <laughs> so the rest is history. He right. must have paid some price. Yeah, um, we're, we're assuming that since he was captured, he was uh, probably jailed and uh, forced restitution and things like that. So. All right. Well, since it is nearly Halloween, I do have to ask you something about a broom. Oh, yes, the broom. And uh, while I have not experienced this personally, many of our crew actually have. So in the very, very top of the ceiling in the uh, Arlington Center Concert Hall, is the spotlight room. And so if you're sitting in the audience, look up to the uh, uh, famed cantaloupe ceiling and you'll see towards the back in the ceiling that there's a kind of a break and that's where the spotlight are at. And there's a door that uh, of course is, separates the room from the rest of the building and uh, outside the door, there's a place where a hand broom and dustbin are hung on the wall to clean up the mess and everything like that. And oftentimes the pan is used to prop open the door when the spots are on because they're very hot. So they're supposed to be hung up on the wall every time that it's done. And crew has found that dustpan in front of the door on the ground multiple, multiple times without ever having moved it there themselves. It couldn't have just tipped over from its position? It's hung on a nail on the wall, so it's uh, pretty difficult to jump off. There is uh, one account from our uh, head engineer who was here by himself and doing a system check, went up, found the pan on the floor in front of the spot room, hung it back up on the wall, went to check the rest of uh, the upper areas, came back to the spot, and it was on the floor again. No. No one else was in the building except for him. What's the theory? What's your theory? That one's a tough one. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's very suspicious. Uh, you know, it could be ghostly manners or it could be 
the fact the building's almost 100 years old and likes to move around. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the ghost idea. It's, it, it's entertaining. <laughs> For more information on the Schnitzer Concert Hall and the Keller Auditorium and their extraordinary history, go to prp.fm and check out our blog post with more detail, as well as a photo gallery of our ghostly tour. I'm Rebecca Webb. Thanks for joining us for Episode 5 of the Portland 5 Podcast. Happy Halloween. The Portland 5 Podcast is a collaboration with Portland Radio Project and Portland 5 Centers for the Arts. Produced by Jenna Demmel, edited and recorded by Daniel Lin. You can find the archive at prp.fm, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.